Let the rock. 
God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, I want to welcome you to church this morning, and I want to just remind you that every Sunday we have one of these connection cards. Now, that's for maybe you're here for the first or second time. And we would love to know uh, that you're here with us, know a little bit more about you, so we would ask you to fill that out. That's also, for people that have been with us 20, 30, 40 years, you've got a prayer request, we would love to know about that, and the staff will be uh, faithful to pray for that every Tuesday morning, so please fill that out. And there's other check boxes on the back, maybe you want to know more about what does it mean to be a, a member of a church, what does it mean to have a relationship with Christ, we'd be happy to answer all those questions. So please uh, mark the appropriate box, write the appropriate thing, and we will uh, be in contact with you. At this time, I'm going to ask our pastor to come share a very important day with us. Some of you are aware that in SBC Life, we uh, make sure that we think about the sanctity of human life. Uh, As a church family, we should think about it all the time, but primarily on this day, uh, SBC Life, we set aside a particular Sunday to remember that. And so those are excerpts, left the word out, letter out, right, of um, the resolution for the sanctity of human life. And so um, please read that in our Baptist Faith and Message, and that is our stand. And I want to remind you that no matter what political persuasion you may be, the biblical persuasion trumps it, no matter what. So we know the Bible teaches us that you shall not murder. And I don't think you can figure out any other way than abortion is murder. However, God can forgive anybody, anywhere, anytime. He can. So there's forgiveness from the Lord. Second, I'm a trustee on the Baptist Home Board. I want to remind you that sanctity of human life is not just conception, but also all the way to death. And so we have, should have a desire. Euthanasia is a sin against God, right? So we have a sanctity of human life view across all of life. And so I want to remind you to pray for our country, uh, to pray for our church, pray that we'll be salt and light. Salt arrests corruption, light dispels darkness. And the Bible says that we are to be salt and light. Okay, let's pray. Great God, we first want to thank you for inviting us before you as an audience to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, we don't want the rocks to cry out in our place. We sing praises to your name. We glorify and honor you, the name which is above every name. We join the angels in chorus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive honor and glory, dominion and power forever. But we also feel the heaviness of the condition of our country. We know you're in control and you're sovereign, but we living on the face of the earth sense that we need you, Father, more than ever. And we need Christians to stand and proclaim the truth and to live the truth without apology. And we pray for our country that you would spare lives. You are the author of life. You open and close the womb. Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We trust you, our sovereign God. But also, help us as your people to align ourselves with your will. And to be people who are bold about the perils that face this world. Especially abortion and other things that are against your scripture. Help us to stand for it. God, help us. Help our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
deals with that we are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. And there's one thing I've, I've learned about Holy Spirit songs over the years. Holy Spirit songs tend to be the most flowery language of all Christian songs, right? And we say stuff like, come here and rain down and open heaven and fill this place and breathe on me. But the gist of the Holy Spirit as it relates to Christianity is... At the moment of salvation, He indwells us. Amen? He's not going nowhere, right? But now, I think our, the songwriters tend to write about our relationship, our feeling, if you will, of the Holy Spirit's nearness or farness. Yes, but remember, He's not going and coming. We are. He is here. He is constant. Right? He is part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Never going to change. So when we sense a distance from the Holy Spirit, we need to move back. Amen? So, so yes, a little bit of flowery language, 
But just as we, as we hear that, we're not saying, Holy Spirit, come and go. We're saying, Holy Spirit, help me yield to your power, to your guidance, to your direction in my life. So let's sing this together. Holy Spirit, break down, break down, oh, comforter and friend, how we need your touch again, Holy Spirit, break
doxology that we ended with uh, should have been familiar to all of you and it says praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. How many of you have noticed that the text that we've been studying is Trinitarian? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We began in verse 3 talking about the fact that the Father has chosen and predestined us to adoption. And then in verse 7, we move to the fact that it was the Son of God who has redeemed us by His blood and forgiven us of our sins. And to the Lord we say, thank the Lord. We say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Bless the Lord who has given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Chosen in the Father before the foundation of the world. Redeemed by the Son. But notice verse 13, there is this marvelous transition into the work of the Holy Spirit of God in sealing us to the day of the redemption of our souls. Listen to the word, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So, how do we have such a status 
and such a future. Stop and think about this for a moment. You've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The status, the future, is secured by the Lord, sealed by the Holy Spirit to the day of the possession of it. In other words, all the way to the total redemption even of the body. When you stand before the Lord in glory. That status. Well, from God's perspective, it is according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the counsel of his will. Did we not read that last week? Verse 11. In him we have been made an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. According to the counsel of his will. His will is unchanging. His counsel is unchanging. So from his perspective, we believed because of the sovereign work of God. Clearly. How about from our perspective? Well, from the human perspective, this text says, we have believed. Amen? That's from the human perspective. Paul mentions the responsibility of the people by saying this. We who had already put our hope in the Messiah, and when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him. Once again, we see clearly in the word of God the absolute mystery of the absolute free and sovereign grace of God to save sinners. But also, from the human perspective, we see that God saves sinners and that we are morally responsible. We must believe. People receive salvation when they hear the gospel and believe in Christ. Folks, you got to let God be God. That's why he's called God. You got to keep the tension that God is absolute free, absolutely free and sovereign in the saving of sinners. Period. However, on the flip side, human human perspective, even though God saved you in him before the foundation of the world, elected you in him, actually, before the foundation of the world, in time and space, you must believe the gospel in order to be saved. Hold the tension. Hold the tension in the Christian life. Don't rob God from absolute sovereignty. But at the same time, let's not preach a gospel that makes people think, well, if God elected me, I'm good. But they never believe the gospel. No, friend, you're not saved if you don't believe the gospel. Period. Okay? So, in this passage, you have two parallel statements. I would love to preach all the way through that outline, which really talks about uh, he seals who? Those who believe the gospel, hear and believe. And then there's this principle. I don't know if you saw this or not, but it says the promised Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means we've got to go back to the Old Testament and talk a little bit about the promise of the Spirit, right? And then thirdly, he's the guarantee of the purchase of a given commodity, but to cap it all off, he does everything he does to the praise of the glory of God. We're going to walk through those, but there's something in the text that causes us to take a deep breath and think. In him, the scripture says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So thus the first point is the Holy Spirit seals those who, who who does the Holy Spirit seal? Those who hear and those who believe the gospel. So 
The text says, in him also, having heard the word of truth and having believed. And I've just given to you how the Greek actually reads. You've got these two parallel statements. Having heard and having believed. And that is very vital for us to think about today. Then we have the description of what is actually heard and believed. Are you all tracking with me? It's the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. That's what's heard. And the link to being sealed is to believe what you've heard. So having heard and having believed. It was the word of truth. The gospel of our salvation. The word of truth. The gospel of our salvation. I want to remind you, is the church's most precious commodity. It is the truth. It is the word of truth. The gospel of our salvation. Now folks, if you look across the landscape of Christendom, evangelicalism, church life, throughout the United States of America, it would be real hard to prove in some churches that the gospel is the central focus. It'd be hard to prove that. There's all kind of things going on, all kind of things being said, all kind of things coming together under the guise of having church. But in reality, if we're not preaching the church's most precious commodity, we're in trouble. And it is the word of truth that, that is the gospel of our salvation. David Wells wrote a book some 30 years ago. It was called No Place for Truth. Now, when you hear the title without the subtitle, you tend to think, well, that's true. In 2021, we look across this world and there is absolutely no place for truth. However, the subtitle of the book was this, Whatever Happened to Evangelical Theology? You know what that means? Whatever happened to truth in the church? Folks, I'm telling you, in many, many ways, our country's in the shape it's in because of the absence of truth in the church. Not in the world. We can't expect lost people to live like saved people. It's not going to happen. The natural man does not discern the things of God. It is the people of God. So, again, he was not referencing truth in relationship to the world. He's talking about no, no place for truth even in the church. So Paul is hammering something. It's the central place of the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, in both our lives and in the life of the church. This comes across individually but also as a whole in the church body. Notice this. Coming to Jesus for salvation is coming to the truth. It is the word of truth. The gospel of our salvation. Thus the reality of coming to the truth, which is coming to Jesus for salvation is coming to the truth. I think that statement demands some attention, right? That's why I'm going to spend the entire sermon time only on point one. Okay? It demands our attention. What does it mean, think with me, to hear the word of truth? What is the hearing of the truth? Have you ever stopped to consider that hearing the word is a vital truth? That to hear the word, the Bible demands that we hear the word. And it's vitally important that we read it. It's vitally important that we meditate on the word. It is vitally important that we Memorize the word, and I'm not negating all of those purposes and all those avenues and how important it is. Yet there is one avenue given in reference to God's word that is absolutely indisputable. 
It is the absolute central importance of hearing the word. Let me show you. Acts chapter 2. Let me give you a few of these. Notice that connection with hearing the word. Acts chapter 2. The first reference is found in verse 37 of the book of Acts. Volume 2 of Luke's gospel track. He wrote Luke and Acts. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you. Chapter 13, verse 34. And this is the word of the Lord. Here's what the Bible says. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Chapter 19, verse 10, and I'm always amazed at this text. Chapter 19, verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia, think about how remarkable that is, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And then I invite you to look in Romans chapter 10 for the pinnacle of the expression of hearing the word. Romans chapter 10. If you didn't find the others, please find this one. Chapter 10, verse 14. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. And listen to verse 17. Underscore this in your mind. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Is this not a critical statement in the reality of every person That we must engage in the truth of hearing the word of God. How can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear without a preacher? Hearing the word, folks, therefore demands preaching. Here is a non-negotiable reality. If you are to be a Christian, and if you are to continue on your Christian walk in sanctification as a follower of Christ, you must hear the word of God. You must hear the word of God. I conclude then that preaching is a vital necessity. I'm not up here doing jumping jacks. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in church life today. But the number one thing that a preacher is supposed to do is preach the word of truth. The gospel of our salvation. So preaching the word is not only essential for hearing in redemption... But it's also essential for sanctification and daily walk with God. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but the trend today is to diminish the need for preaching the word of truth. It's everywhere. People say, well, isn't preaching antiquated, outdated as a mode of communication? Isn't it even monological? It's just one person that's up there communicating. 
And on top of that, communicators tell us that if you hear something orally, you can only retain about 10% of what you hear. So, the experts in church life say, well, if that is true, there are many better ways to proclaim the word other than preaching. That's what they say. Let's find more effective ways to communicate the gospel. You can mime the gospel. You can liturgically dance the gospel. You can have and show gospel movies. Actually, in some churches, they don't show any gospel movie at all. They just show a worldly movie and then try to bridge it. You can have gospel concerts. Why? Because the mindset is oral communication is not where you are most effective in proclaiming the gospel. Preacher, don't you know we live in an image-driven society? So we must all capitalize on it. My friends, as long as Romans 10.14 remains in the inspired word of God, we are compelled to preach the gospel so that people can hear. Do you understand that that is the way God has designed it? Why do we want to mess with something that God has designed it? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. And you can't hear unless you proclaim. It has to be spoken. Now... The communication theorists of our day have absolutely no way to evaluate the anointing of the Holy Spirit or the unction of God on the preached word. How do you put that on paper? Let's evaluate the Holy Spirit as he infiltrates the word and changes hearts and saves souls. Now, I I have no doubt that some of you only get 10%. Some of you probably only get 1% of what I'm saying. But I'm telling you, we can't go against what the Bible says. We can't let the sway, the slide, the, the slip... We can't let the culture dictate what the church of God is supposed to do. We are called to preach. I don't care what their theoretical perspective is. The fact of the matter is, hearing the word not only demands preaching, we have to. Why? It demands preaching, but it also demands those who are sent. So it demands missions. Why do we do what we do in our church? Well, how will they hear unless they are sent? Right? A church that is inward focused is nothing but a keeper of an aquarium. But that's not what God called us to be. God called us to be fishers of men. He called us to go forth with a message. And I get what your thinking is sometimes. Here's what we think. Well, God is sovereign. He saves sinners. And he chose them in him before the foundation of the world. Then why do we need to do missions? That is the lamest thing I've ever heard in my life. Number one, you don't know who God is going to save. And number two, he's told you to go. He has told you, commanded you to preach the gospel. He commanded Isaiah to preach to a people that would never hear him. That You're going to preach, they're going to hear some clanging going on, but they're never going to obey. But Isaiah, you're still going to preach because you're my servant. It happens every time I preach this church, don't it? No, I'm kidding. No, that's not true. But here's the deal. Many have postulated that people can be saved... Actually, without even hearing the gospel. So, not only do people say that preaching is dispensable. They say, well, we don't even need missionaries. Because you can actually be saved, in their opinion, by just looking at creation. That's what we call general revelation. Or natural revelation. So, you know what the next step is from that. If you deny that someone must hear and believe the gospel in order to be saved. And the next step is to to deny that a hell actually exists. 
And then the next step is to say, why in the world would we want to send missionaries over to India or anywhere else if they can be saved by natural revelation? Why would we want to put them into a valley of decision and make them understand that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Why make them make that decision? Let's just not worry about missionaries because they can learn that God created the world and thus be saved. Mm. Begs the question, right? That's exactly why we actually have the question. What about those who never hear the gospel? What does that assume? We're going to take the gospel to them so they can hear the gospel. Right? Think about that for a moment. So we must preach and we must send missionaries so that people can hear the word of God and believe the gospel. It's very interesting to me that for over 2,000 years, this has been the staple of believing God's word to preach and send missionaries And all of a sudden now we have these experts, these bright boys, who study sociology and communication and find out that, no, we really don't need these things at all. Well, what does God say? God says they're not going to hear without a preacher. And that preacher has to be sent. That's what Almighty God says. So the, the world can have its theories, but I'll stick to God's word and the 2,000 years of history we've had thus far. Okay? Now, we will all see at the end of the day who was right. I'm sticking with the word. Notice the text. It is not just hearing any old word. Y'all see it? It's not just a word hitting your sound waves into your ear and magically bringing about faith in you. There is actually a specific content that must be heard. And what does that mean, church? There's also a specific content that must be preached and that must be sent by missionaries around the world who proclaim it. So Paul says it like this. It is the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. We could put it like this, the word that is truth. We're not just saying something that is true, that is a true word. Here's what we're saying. The sum and substance of truth is in the word. It is the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Is this not what Jesus was saying in the upper room when he brought his disciples together? In John 17, 17, he says, Thy word is truth. Sanctify them, set them apart in your truth. So he calls this the truth of the gospel of your salvation. I should not have to tell you this, the verse out loud, but do you know Romans 1, 16? Some of you have it on your shirt. You may not even know where it comes from. But I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So this is the compendium of truth. What is it? The good news that is the very power of God unto salvation. That is what the writer is saying. Think about this for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. Think with me. Here's what it says. Paul says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Folly to those who are perishing, precious, wonderful. The Bible says an aroma of life to life to those who are being saved. Have you ever stopped to think about what the world views us like when they drive by churches on Sunday morning? What are those fools doing? This is a perfect Sunday. Sunday. The sun is out. We can go to the lake. We can go fishing. 
We can hang out on the golf course. We can do all these things. Why would those people want to go inside of that building and waste two or three hours on a good Sunday? Hmm. To those who are perishing, the word of the cross is actually foolishness. Yet, to the word of the cross is the very power of God, that word to those who are being saved. It is our very life. This word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, is the very wisdom of God. Scorned by the world, foolishness to the world, it's our very life. Right? The word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. Andrew Lincoln wrote this. The good news effects a rescue operation. I like that terminology. A deliverance from spiritual death, from God's wrath, from bondage to evil powers, to sin and the flesh. You know, if you're lost and you know you're lost, what do you need more than playing golf and fishing and hanging out at the lake? If you're lost and you know you're lost, then you need the gospel of your salvation. Amen? That's what you need. Is there anything sweeter for those who are saved than to hear the gospel? Not once, not twice, not three times, but your entire life. There's nothing sweeter than hearing the gospel over and over again. Please never act like you can outgrow the gospel. Sometimes we think that what the writer of Hebrews was referring to when you move from the elementary principles of the faith and move to the meat of the word, that that means you, you just leave the gospel behind. Well, the gospel, that, you know, just life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that's stuff that we've moved past and now we're on the meat of the word. The gospel is just baby food. And now I progress to the real meat. Well, I want you to understand that if you realize that the entirety of the Scripture is the Christocentric whole counsel of God, then you will never get tired of the gospel. You should never get tired of the gospel. As a matter of fact, if the only time you ever thought about the gospel was the day you supposedly trusted Christ, then you probably did not trust Him then. Because the gospel is something you presently live every day of your life. No amens? Well, it is. That's what it is. So, if you realize that the entirety of the scripture is all about Jesus and the gospel, you'll never get over it. How could we ever become bored with hearing about the goodness of our Savior in saving our souls? It is the word of truth. The gospel of our salvation. The gospel has an objective element to it. Do you all agree? The word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. That gospel certainly has an objective element to it. But it also has a subjective element to it. So when we talk about the gospel, it does contain some objective verities. And it centers on who? The person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Son of God who made propitiation for our sins. The Son of God, who was the only substitute for sinners. There's an objective reality. So when someone desires and comes up to you and says, well, tell me what the gospel is. You don't start by saying, when I was 13. You don't start by saying, well, when I was 12. No, folks, the objective reality of the gospel is you ought to start with Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That is the objective reality of the gospel. The objective reality of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for sinners. The objective reality of the gospel is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The objective reality of the gospel is that we are sinners and that God in His grace saves sinners. 
The gospel is the message about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, object, it is subjective and it is historical whether you ever believe it or not. It is historical, it is objective. But the gospel is also wonderfully experiential and it's wonderfully personal. Notice the pronoun. It is the gospel of your salvation. It is the gospel of our salvation. Mm. It is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and me. So once you have talked about the verities of the gospel, then it's all right to say when I was 13. Are y'all following with me? Right? It's okay to say that. This is what happened. This is how God changed my life through the gospel. Now, we don't believe at this church that as long as you have the facts right on the gospel, then you're right with God. That's called dead orthodoxy. We know the facts of the gospel, the objective reality of the gospel. But if you've not experienced the gospel inwardly, then you're not right with God. Are y'all listening? So we move from objective reality about the gospel to the gospel of my salvation. The gospel of our salvation. The gospel of your salvation. So it is the church's business, people, to always be preaching the gospel. That's the call of God upon us. I don't think you will ever grasp the gospel sufficiently this side of heaven. I won't and you won't. We shall see him and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Don't you long for that day? When you totally know everything there is to know within reason that God will let you know about the gospel. We ought to be like children who are learning to read when it comes to the glory of the gospel. I'm never going to be at the point where I don't preach the gospel. This church needs to be defined by the gospel. It is our most precious commodity. It is the only thing that has the power to change a life. Period. Not your political persuasion. Not the, not the dictates of human beings. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of truth, can change a life. Now, folks, that means that preaching, when truly Christian, will be distinctive. Right? What makes preaching distinctive? Well, it's the prevailing presence of a saving, sanctifying Christ who is able and willing to save. Why would I ever want to preach seven steps to a happier marriage? Or seven ways to guarantee success when we can preach the inexhaustible riches of Christ every Lord's day. That's what we're called to do. How a preacher can claim to be a preacher and immerse himself in the scriptures and in his mind and get up that week and give you seven ways to be healthy and satisfied and successful. I don't call that person a preacher at all. That's not a preacher. So, the passage also says, believe in the gospel for our salvation. So, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. But the Bible says we must believe the gospel of our salvation. What ends up being the link between hearing and being sealed? Say it. Believing. That's the link of hearing and being sealed in this text is believing the gospel. So in the Bible, there's always a responsibility to believe and embrace and obey the gospel, what you hear. Romans 1.16 doesn't say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to those who hear. That's not what it says. 
It says to those who believe the gospel. So, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You know what James says, don't you? Don't be hearers only, but be doers of the word. Let me show you a fascinating text of scripture. And all you have to do, in my copy of God's word, I only have to flip back two pages to the left. All right? So from Ephesians 1, just flip back a couple of pages and land on Galatians 3, verse 5. Let's put together faith, hearing the word, and faith. Hearing the word and belief. Listen to how the author of Galatians does it. Paul, chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or, usually in Greek, I, I'm not checking this right in front of me, but meti in Greek demands a no. Uti demands a yes. Now, I don't know if that's in there, but it doesn't really matter because here's what he says. You do so by works of the law, and he's asking a question. Or, by hearing, notice this phrase, with faith. And what's that tell you? That there is a hearing that is not accompanied with faith. But here is a hearing accompanied with faith. Just as Abraham believed God. I want to remind you that he believed God before there was ever a law. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Oh, this is good. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Folks, I told you, you'll never get over the gospel. And here he was preaching the gospel to Abraham before he ever gave the law. God is awesome. The same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that saved Abraham. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We've got to get this straight. Faith will not come without hearing, but there can be no hearing without faith. Are y'all listening? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've got to get it straight. Faith will not come without hearing, but there can be a hearing without faith. Hearing must then result in believing if it is saving faith. Y'all remember Ezekiel? Man, he's, he's not a guy that we want to turn loose with our youth group, right? This guy was... God asked him to do some crazy things, but he did it. But do you remember? As Ezekiel was preaching, he said, you know, people like to come hear you. Flamboyant. Different. Got a message. But what does God tell Ezekiel? They're here, but they're not going to obey. What did Isaiah learn? He was told by God to preach a message and told by God before he ever preached it that people were not going to obey. And yet, he still preached faithfully the word. So hearing must then result in believing. We are told in Mark's gospel that Herod actually, Herod actually enjoyed the preaching of John the Baptist. Did y'all know that? He wanted to hear John the Baptist preach. You know, John the Baptist I would not categorize as seeker-friendly or seeker-sensitive. As a matter of fact, this dude was seeker-hostile. He just tell you right to your face, you were, you're, a, you're a brood of vipers. You're whitewashed tombs. 
he would have certainly got censored on Facebook. <laughs> right? He would have. But look, he loved John the Baptist. He liked to hear him. But did Herod believe? Herod believed. Now, as a matter of fact, one day, John the Baptist says, Herod, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. Whoa, Katie barred the door. He went from preaching to meddling. And what did Herod do? You're incarcerated right now, and then you, he ends up being beheaded for preaching the truth. Wow. We think today that when people are flamboyant and they're good to hear and communicate, then people are just going to flock in. And maybe they will. But when Jesus preached, they didn't flock in. They clocked out. There's a major difference when you preach the truth. I dare say this church probably will never be filled. If God would so fit, see fit to do it, then praise God. We want it to be people who are genuinely saved that join a church. That's called, we don't want unregenerate church membership. But no matter if this church is ever filled to capacity or not, we're going to preach the word of God and let the chips fall where they may. Right? Are we going to be sensitive to the fact that people are lost? Well, absolutely. But we're not going to align things and go outside the scripture thinking that we ourselves can can have a program or anything that can change a heart. Only Jesus can change a heart. So what you hear, you must believe. Now, this is some of the most important things you're probably going to ever hear me say at this church. So you need to underscore them. What is it to believe? What is it to trust? What is it to have faith? Because we have to say, even in the Greek text, with the shade of meaning between faith and belief, they're two sides of the same coin. Okay? So, what is it to, to believe? Well, the reformers taught that there were three fundamental things in regard to faith and trust and belief. Here's the first one. The first is knowledge. In other words, folks, in order for you to be saved, you have to believe the content of what you hear. There's knowledge. There's facts about the person and work of the Son of God. Who He is. He's God. Came in the flesh. It is the word of truth. And that truth is absolutely necessary in order for you to be saved. There must be knowledge. Yet, folks, there's more than just knowledge. Is everybody listening? I told you this was important, so listen. Knowledge. But there's another word that they coined called assent. A-S-C-E-N-T. John Murray called this conviction. In other words, there's this deep abiding conviction that not only are these teachings true... And purported to be true. But these things are actually true to me. Inwardly. Murray says it like this. The conviction must be that Christ's sufficiency as Savior. This is good. Meets the desperateness and hopelessness of my sin. And my personal misery. So we in essence embrace the gospel facts as our own. Not just knowledge. But assent. In other words the truth of Christ becomes your very life. I mean, just think about this. If you can go days and days and days and days and days and never think about the gospel, never think about salvation, something's wrong, right? This becomes your very life. You can no more move me off my stand that this is the truth of the gospel than you can chop off a mountain, the largest one in the world, and move it to another place. I stand on the gospel of my salvation. And I hope you do too. So, the reformers were clear that that's still not enough. Knowledge and assent, not enough. There is this critical 
non-negotiable element of trust that must be there in order for you to be saved. Here's how John Murray says it again. Faith cannot stop short of self-commitment to Christ, which is a transference of reliance upon ourselves and all human resources to a reliance upon Christ alone for salvation. It is a resting in the person and work of Christ. Let me give you an example. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Now this is not self-denial, meaning you beat yourself and whip yourself into subjection. It means to disavow allegiance with self. So if you never disallow, disavow your allegiance to number one, you, and transfer that over to reliance on Christ alone to save you for your, from your sin. Why? Because of the misery of our lost condition. If that doesn't happen, then you're not saved. So, I told you there was a lot in the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. So think about this for a moment. The devil is aware of the gospel facts. And he even knows that they're true. But he's not saved. Such is true for the demons in hell as well. So it is a receiving, it is a resting upon Christ alone for salvation. Without doing this, you will not see heaven. Without a whole-souled self-commitment to Christ as Lord and Savior, you will not see heaven. So this is the gospel, the word of truth. Not only must it be heard, it must be believed. Knowledge, assent. Commitment of the will. Total reliance upon Christ alone. Some scholars call that the emotive sense. In other words, if the knowledge don't ever move you into the emotive sense of putting your trust and faith into it, then you haven't received the gospel. Folks, here's the deal. Since there is this truth, we don't need to capitulate to modern society. We don't need to capitulate to postmodernism, right? Because this is the truth of the gospel and it has not changed. And just because the world changes, and even in Christendom it's changing to more progressive views, that doesn't mean the word of God has changed. This is the word of God. Francis Schaeffer said, God's truth is true truth. Don't you love that statement? It is. We believe in true truth. Now, let's end by asking this question. Does this belief, does this teaching... The word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, having heard, having believed, does that have any implications on our church? Does it have any implications in your life? Does it shout to us that truth must be proclaimed? Will y'all talk back to me? Does it shout to us that we should be proclaimers of the truth? Don't you realize that our most precious commodity is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only thing that can save sinners? Your political persuasion, no matter what it is, can't save anybody. But the gospel of Jesus Christ can. Listen to this text, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. Here's, here's the implications for the church. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ... Who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Y'all hear that? I'm going to be judged by the king. At his appearing. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with patience and teaching. What? What's the implication to the church? We got to preach the truth. 
We've got to preach the message of the gospel. Does this have any implications in you as a witness before the Lord? Folks, do I have to tell you there comes a point when you have to open your mouth? If faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, there are people who push evangelism lifestyle. I get that. In other words, lifestyle evangelism means that if people look at you, they should see that your life lines up with the character of Christ and the glory of the gospel, and that makes impacts upon people's lives. Okay? Well, I think you should have a lifestyle that matches the gospel. Please. Okay? However, think about this. When your unconverted friend or coworker looks at you, and they look at your Mormon coworker, which most of the time they're probably living better than you, all right, lifestyle-wise, they see both good lives, and they really want to know what's the difference. How are you going to show them that with lifestyle evangelism? you got to open your mouth. you got to proclaim, thus, the condition that we're in in the United States of America. My fault and your fault. Right? we got to open our mouths and proclaim. Certainly, we want to live a gospel-centered life. We want, to be, we want to have a life that is committed to the conduct of Christ. Yet, if faith comes by, comes by hearing, then people around you at some point need to hear. And it demands that we open our mouths. Implication is, the church must preach the gospel. Other implication is, you, as a church member, must proclaim the gospel. Years and years ago, it was said, there are no secret service agents in the kingdom of God. You can try to camouflage your Christianity all you want to. But I'm telling you, folks, if you're born again and you've received this kind of gospel, when you're pushed back into a corner and stiff-armed, you need to come out with the gospel. Right? You need to open your mouth and share the gospel. Young people, I said this in the early service. I said, young people, I looked up and I was like, okay. <laughs> well, let me, I said to our older people, let me explain to you why this is important. So young people, look at me. Look, listen closely. Please don't become sermon-proofed and gospel-hardened. Simply hearing the word preached week after week is not enough. Young people, don't come in with the attitude, just get this over with. Do you know how responsible you are from hearing the truth? Do you really get the responsibility. Do you understand the incredible blessing that you get to hear the word of God? Never take that for granted. I'm telling you, if you do it now, you'll do it the rest of your life. And it'll get worse. The truth of God is precious. you got to believe it. We need to pray that our young people will not only hear the word, but they will obey the word. Of God. How about you adults? Is it the gospel of your salvation? Boy, that's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? You may know all the facts from your radiator to your tailpipe. Every possible fact. But that doesn't mean that you have assented to that truth. And that doesn't mean at all that you've embraced it. And trusted in the Lord God. Remember what Thomas Watson said. Every sermon you hear takes you one step closer to hell... Are one step closer to heaven. Adults, you're getting the word. Now, let me tell you something I don't like to hear at the end of a sermon when you're walking out. Can I tell you that? 
it is this. Pastor, that was a nice sermon. That's not the point. We need to hear someone say, hallelujah, what an awesome God we have. If all you're seeing is the preacher, you're missing it. You're missing it totally. We, we want to hear, God is great and merciful to save sinners. Hallelujah, praise God for the word. Because it's not the preacher that changes lives. It's the word of God and the Holy Spirit that causes change in the hearts of people. So, as a church, we need to guard the gospel. Do you know the best way to guard the gospel? It's by proclaiming it. There's a lot of things we have to do against the world who might come in externally to shut us down. It it may happen, all right? But here's the deal. The best way to do this is proclaim it freely so that people can hear it. That's the best way to guard the gospel. To God be the glory. I end with this. Is it the gospel of your salvation? Is it the gospel of your salvation? With a sermon like this, we're going to do an altar call. If you need to come to Jesus today, put your mask on. Hey, I used to end a business meeting every so often in my first church in North Carolina. Natalie can attest to this. I'd end the business meeting by saying, anybody need to be saved? Right? I heard a testimony this week. I want to rob all of it. But it was a testimony of the power of the word. Because this young lady began to ask questions about salvation because of the Lord's Supper. And was gloriously saved. Why? Because we're proclaiming his death until he comes. There's something. Even in the Lord's Supper, there's evangelism. There's the gospel. And so if you feel, if you know today the truth of the gospel, you just heard it. If you assent to the fact that, boy, that's not just true. As it's purported, it's truth for me. And if you sense the need in your heart for total self-reliance, totally getting off self-reliance, and a 180-degree turn to relying and resting on Jesus only for your salvation and thus repenting of your sins, you can do that today. Let's sing together. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? What nation of knowing he counts not their sum? Thrown into the sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. And praise the Just a little funny thing I thought about. 
you know, preacher's mind's always racing. At the song, Victory in Jesus, someone stood before the next newer song. I thought that was kind of funny, right? I mean, it's just something I noticed. I felt the presence of someone pop up back here when they sang Victory in Jesus. I'm like, that's a shout out for the old people, right? <laughs> we still believe in Victory in Jesus. Amen. No, we don't mind that you stand, but I hope that when you stand, you're worshiping the Lord. Not, don't do it out of rote. Don't do it because somebody else is doing it. Because Almighty God who judges the living and the dead knows. Right? I hope you're celebrating the goodness and wonderful love of Almighty God to love sinners. Right? And praise God, that song is still alive today. Victory in Jesus. Uh, it's still the old, old story. Right? Okay. What else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Glenn and Lori Redman. I messed up in the first service and forgot about them. I must be the one that's losing it a little bit. Step up a little bit. Y'all, whoop, six feet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> now, this is Glenn and Lori Redman, and they've been visiting our church for quite some time. They went through our new members class. They both know Jesus as Lord, both following believers' baptism. They will be joining us by transfer of letter from a sister Southern Baptist church. All right? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glad to have you. God bless you. All right. Can I preach till 2 o'clock? Kansas City, y'all not worried about that game, are you? As we're dismissed, let's sing once more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy is born. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Have a blessed week.